Hello, and welcome to Linux Action News, our weekly take on Linux and the open source world. This is episode 15, recorded on August 20th, 2017. I'm Chris. And I'm Joe. Hello, Joe, and my podcast-tuned ears tell me that sounds a bit like a hotel room. Uh, are you still at Og Camp over there? I am still at Og Camp, yes. Uh, I've been there all day yesterday and all day today. How's it been going? Yeah, it's been going great, and I'm going to be going out for the social event tonight as well, Sunday night as we record this in the UK. But it's been really good. I've seen uh, a bunch of talks about loads of random stuff, but um, I think one of the the good ones for me was Richard Brown from OpenSUSE. He gave a really comprehensive overview of how the, the project works and how it ties in with Slee, uh, the enterprise version and stuff, and uh, that was really good. And also he did one today a shorter talk about open QA and how that relates to tumbleweed and why they think that's the best way to do a distro which is a little bit controversial to say that a rolling release is better than uh, the snapshot releases that Ubuntu do. That does sound pretty interesting and it sounds like also a few shows got produced while you're there so there's some content out of OGCamp people can look forward to if they go check out Late Night Linux so overall pretty productive Joe. Yeah so far so good. Of course, there's another group of folks that are having a party this week, and that's Gnome. Gnome has officially turned 20, Joe. Yeah, can you believe it's that old as a project? It kind of makes me feel old. <laughs> I know that's a selfish take on it, but that was my first thought. Was, Whoa, wait, what? 20 years? Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Debian has turned 24. 1993, that was the first release of Debian. Unbelievable. 24 years of Debian, 20 years of GNOME, two projects that have had a, a huge role in my Linux usage. Debian Day, what do you think of that, Joe? We should start celebrating Debian Day. Yeah, we should definitely. Yeah. <laughs> maybe we can convert a few people, maybe. Speaking of Debian, there's a bit of a remix for the Raspberry Pi that's gotten an update. Yeah, the previous version of Raspbian was based on Jesse, and now they have updated it to Stretch, so it's kind of up to date now. And there's not anything massively different in there. You've got new versions of things, new PHP, um, and some of the kind of core apps have been updated, like Sonic Pi has, has been updated to version 3 now, yeah, which is a major update for that. That's got a lot of new features on there. But, you know, in this blog post about it, did you notice them talking, well, Simon Long was talking about how uh, he's fixed some issues with passwordless sudo and the fact that the default user is pi. And if you change that, then some applications don't like it and he's kind of fixed that. Yeah. But it, to me, that just highlights that um, I, I just don't think that it's put together very well, that distro. I think that having a default username and password, and you can change it, but it doesn't prompt you to do that, um, or at least not in very overt terms. And then to have sudo with no password, it just seems like no. It's security and usability are always a balance, right? But in this case, I just feel that they've got that balance wrong for me, and that's why I would always use Ubuntu Mate on the Pi. One thing that was a red flag to me, and it's absolutely their choice to go this route, but they've ripped Pulse Audio out, and that to me was a bit of a red flag. That's uh, when you roll backwards. That's generally not something that's sustainable. I I remember a time in Linux where only one application could use your audio interface at a time, and if you had something playing sound, that's all you could listen to. So when we start to slide backwards in audio, it does make me a little concerned. I'm not saying Pulse Audio is the best thing ever, but just completely ripping it out and then saying, "Oh, if you need that, just install it yourself." Seems a little bit of a backwards approach. 
Maybe, I don't know. Maybe I've not, I don't have extensive use with it on the Raspberry Pi. So maybe this is the right move. But that was a red flag to your point. Yeah. And another regression is, well, I suppose a change. Do you remember when they made a theme for LXDE and started calling it a desktop environment and called it Pixel? Yeah. And I pointed out to them that that was probably not such a good idea because of the Google Pixel sure. and that they might have trademark issues. Mm-hmm. And they said, oh, it's fine. Don't worry. It's, it's totally different. Well, now they have silently rebranded it as Raspberry Pi Desktop and not a single mention of Pixel on their website anymore, apart from the old article. That's a good move, though. It, I mean, we don't know why, although I think your reason might be it. But that is a good move on their part. Well, I asked Ben Nuttall, the uh, community manager, he did a lightning talk at OddCamp yesterday. Oh. And I asked him that very question, and he just took his phone out of his pocket and held it up as to why they've rebranded f- away from Pixel. Was it a Pixel? Uh, I believe so, yeah. That's, 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 I think you nailed it then. <laughs> I, I suspect they got a letter from Google, but he, he wouldn't say for definite. Yeah. So here's something then that's good. Let's, let's end on a positive note with our coverage of this. They have a fix for that Broadcom 43 wireless chipset that uh, ships on the Raspberry Pi 3 and Pi Zero. It potentially allowed an attacker to take over the chip and execute code on it. And uh, this stretch release includes a patch to address that vulnerability. That's a pretty that's a pretty important fix and a good reason to update. Yeah, and to be fair, one thing that is quite impressive about this distro is that it will work on any Raspberry Pi from the very first one on the Zeros, on the 2, the 3, and it'll just work regardless of which Pi you have which is not something can be said for any other OS. Mm -hmm. So fair play to them on that one. Yeah, I agree. Just because Debian's 24 years old doesn't mean they're sitting still and enjoying the architectures and systems they already run great on. Work continues for Debian on mobile devices. Yeah, it's easy to forget that you can actually run a proper GNU slash Linux distro on some of these portable devices, including the Pocket Chip, which is a pretty cool little computer, um, and even a phone, uh, Zero Phone, which is based on the Raspberry Pi Zero. Very geeky phone. Yeah, yeah. The thing is that with the death of Ubuntu Phone and Firefox OS, you kind of think that all hope is lost and Android is the only way if you want Linux on a, a kind of embedded small device. But it's good to see that Debian is actually working on this stuff and hasn't forgotten about it. I agree. And there's actually a device shipping soon that looks really compelling that'll ship with Debian. The Pandora folks are getting ready to ship the Pyra. I think I'm saying that right. P-Y-R-A. It's a 5-inch LCD touchscreen. It has gaming controls on it, but it also has a full QWERTY little mini keyboard. It looks it looks about the size of an older Nintendo 3DS. It has a 1.5 gigahertz dual-core ARM CPU, which you could upgrade. You can get up to 4 gigs of RAM, backlit keyboard. And yeah, Debian pre-installed on these. And these guys have a history of shipping. It's a pretty compelling little device, and if you want something super mobile, uh, I like it. And Joe, you'll like this, too, at least in the screenshots. It's running XFCE. Well, it's the only desktop that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> so there's there's actually a few... When you stop thinking about the consumer handhelds like the, like the Galaxy phones and the Nexus phones, and you start thinking about these really awesome, geeky devices that, honestly, only a niche is going to want to buy, but that's fine. Debian starts to make a lot of sense here. The Zero Phone was an interesting one, but also they're working on the Samsung Galaxy S Relay 4G. Now, I, I just said don't target consumer phones, but if you do need something that can make calls for some reason and you want something running Debian, 
that's also going to be an option. But the Pirate in me had the most compelling feature set, a really nice modular handheld computer with gaming controls, Wi-Fi, multiple SD card slots, USB ports. You can get it for in Europe or the U.S., and it's going to pre- be preloaded with Debian. The only downside, when I, when I started to get a little bit more interested in it and looked at the pre-orders, the one I would want with 4 gigs of RAM is about 670 US dollars. Little too expensive for me. Yeah. Well, it's funny, kind of related. Um, while I've been here at Ogcamp, I got my hands on the GPD Pocket. Oh, yeah? Briefly. What do you think? It's build quality is brilliant. It's it's milled aluminium. It, it feels like a MacBook Pro type. But uh, software-wise, it doesn't really work with certainly the LTS version of Ubuntu that was on there. And also, when I put it down on the table, it turned itself off and on again because of a loose connector in there. Okay. So there's some quality control issues by the looks of things. Yeah. But I would really want one. If they weren't so expensive, I kind of wish I'd backed it now. But uh, yeah, you see it all at OddCamp. It's brilliant. There's another device coming out soon that is sort of making me also interested. This this space is really starting to get interesting. My 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 better sense says, wait another generation. That's what my better sense tells me. But my early adopter sense says, jump in now. So it's obviously getting more and more interesting. We'll have some links in the show notes if you guys want to check it out. But in the meantime, those of us that have existing devices and nothing's really compelling to us, that's the situation I find myself in with my Nexus 6P. Lineage is starting to look more and more attractive, and they've recently launched a summer survey that I have to be honest with you, Joe, after I started taking the survey, even though I'm not a recent Lineage user, it actually made me want to use Lineage more and more. I hadn't realized how great it's gotten, and just looking at some of the questions in the survey, it's really standing out. I haven't used anything else apart from it. Well, I used Android Ice Cold, which is based on it, for a while, but as soon as I bought my OnePlus 3T a couple of weeks ago, the, literally the first thing I did was flash Lineage on it. Yeah, you did. I, that is, <laughs> In fact, I remember it was, it was basically, hey, I got this, and it's already running Lineage, which is pretty funny. It didn't even, there was no gap. I, for me, I've just, I got the Nexus line of devices because I wanted to just get it directly from Google, and I thought if I'm going to be on an Android device, I should just run as close to what Google envisions for Android as possible. And what I've discovered by that is it's not good enough, and it's boring, and my, I, I don't use my Nexus 6P as much. And Lineage seems like a great way to sort of inject a little bit of life back into the device and make it a little more compelling again. So the survey is linked in the show notes if you're a Lineage user and you want to give them your thoughts. They're calling it their summer survey. And uh, they have divided it into five areas, apps, wallpapers, features, infrastructure, and how they handle public relations. So it's worth checking out lineageos.org slash summer dash survey or go over to linuxactionnews.com slash 15 and find the link in the show notes. Yeah, and the thing is that you have no right to complain about a project if you don't take part in these surveys. I, I will always do a survey if I can because that's the best way to give them direct feedback, crowdsourced info and, and opinions. So if you do use Lineage, then I urge you do go and fill this out and help them out. It's a very simple way to give them a couple of minutes of your time to really help the project out. DigitalOcean.com. Go over there, create your account, and then apply our promo code, here's the thing. All one word, smush it together like you're slurring it, and get a $10 credit at DigitalOcean.com.
DigitalOcean is simple cloud hosting that you can get deployed in less than 55 seconds. I'm talking from getting the machine created to being logged in as root and creating and working on your project. DigitalOcean.com, promo code, here's the thing. Everything uses SSDs. They have a simple API. They have highly available block storage, lightning-fast networking with private networking that doesn't count against your transfer which is really brilliant if you have a front-end proxy server connecting to back-end web servers or doing backups on their back-end. That private networking's over their data center land, too, so it's crazy fast. They have load balancing as a service team support if you want to work with a group and monitoring and alerting to make you look like a boss. DigitalOcean.com. Use our promo code. Here's the thing. Get started in seconds and see how great that interface is, how simple it is. DigitalOcean.com. Promo code. Here's the thing. One of the projects that I've been watching closely for a few years now is Solus. And this week, they've come out with Solus 3. Now, full disclosure, Ike, the founder and lead developer of Solus, is on my other podcast, Late Night Linux. So I'm pretty much bound to say good things about it. But this is a really solid release. Yeah, this is the third iteration of Solus since they've moved to a rolling release. And I wanted to watch this kind of come out a couple of times after that transition. And it was this one that made me install it on the machine I'm sitting in front of right now, which is my one of my most important machines in the studio. They've, they've moved from a regular snapshot model that a lot of traditional distributions take, and they've now gone with sort of a hybrid curated rolling release model. And that works perfect for me because it keeps the applications fresh. I've opted to use the LTS kernel and the LTS video drivers, so those remain constant and stable. And I, I think it's a really good balance for me. This is also the first release of Solus to ship with an LSM by default. The Linux security models like SE Linux or App Armor that are essentially a control list or a control system that prevent applications from going outside certain boundaries. And Solus hadn't really picked a horse in that race, and now they've chosen AppArmor. And by shipping AppArmor by default, they've also brought in a bunch of the support they need to ship really good snap support. Like great, essentially Ubuntu-level snap support with full confinement, using the Linux security module within their own kernel, which this module happens to be AppArmor, to use snap. So now we have complete... Flatpak with confinement support and Snaps with confinement support on Solus, which is great for users of the operating system that might want to install something that isn't in their curated repository. Well, that was one of the biggest criticisms to date of Solus, that their repo is relatively small compared to Debian or Ubuntu, for example. Yeah. And now this basically takes care of that, or it certainly will in the future. Yeah, I'm looking forward to adding support for a couple of applications I don't think they would ever want to package. Maybe things that run more as a server with Nginx, and I'm thinking of certain like Usenet clients and whatnot that I just don't think would ever end up in the user repository for Solus. So this is pretty cool. It also represents some pretty great cross-platform collaboration between the canonical Snapcraft folks and Solus, which we got a little bit of the backstory on on last week's Linux Unplugged from Wimpy and Ike, which sounded... Like, essentially, they just had to kind of point him in the right direction, and he was able to roll all this in. But fascinating nonetheless. And not to focus too much on Snaps, because there's a ton of other pretty great features in their custom desktop, Budgie 10.4, which has new animations, a new alt tab, a new nightlight feature that changes the color tones at night. All, all other kinds of really nice things, including modifications to the menu that I really appreciate as a new adopter of the Budgie desktop. <laughs> 
Yeah, not to mention the most important thing, to put the panel in the correct place at last, <laughs> on the bottom. You know, I read somebody say on the internet recently that Solus is one of the most newsworthy Linux distributions, and I have to agree. There's a lot happening here, and it's been fascinating to watch it for a little while myself. Yeah, it seems like we were right when we said that once Ike goes full-time, development's going to accelerate, and it's just gone at an amazing speed. It was already going pretty quickly and it was already quite newsworthy, but it seems like Ike is going to be providing us with news for uh, weeks and months and years to come. <laughs> I totally agree. In fact, I'm looking forward to it. It's one of the reasons I installed it. I'm also always following news around the ZFS file system and getting better support for ZFS on Linux. And finally, it looks like we might be getting decent encryption support. Which I would have thought for certain enterprise use cases is absolutely essential. I wonder, how many people encrypt their NASs or their SANs in an enterprise? People listening, I'd like to know. Tweet us at Linux Action News or at Chris LAS and let me know. Do you encrypt your data center storage? I could definitely picture encrypting any mediums that leave the data center, like backup drives or tapes or absolutely laptops. But large, large storage volumes, do people actively encrypt those? I'm not sure. I would have thought so with certain areas like banking and where it's really critical security. Yeah, you definitely have controls around the data and restrictions and lots of protection. But encryption at rest comes with a pretty big considerable overhead when you have high usage applications hitting that drive a lot. So there's a big cost to doing that. I, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm a little old school on this, but to me it seems like you definitely encrypt the network at, during transit. You definitely encrypt any data leaving the data center, absolutely. But often on the LAN itself, you just manage it with access control lists and file permissions. So I wonder if it hasn't been a big concern for Linux. They've, but they have been working on it for months. The patches go back for months and months. And it was just really until this last week that they felt like it was matured enough for merging into the uh, upstream code. So you're going to you're gonna have to wait for these updates to come downstream to you. But there's 16,000 new lines of code. There's a fun fact along with this uh, new Linux encryption support on ZFS. Yeah, so I wonder if this is one more small nail in uh, B-Tree FS's coffin. Uh, yeah. What do you think? No, I, I'm going to take the other side on that now. I think ButterFS is essentially untouchable. I th all of the shots that it can be, it's, it's not dead yet, Joe. It's just a flesh wound, and it's still going. <laughs> because where it's useful, there's certain NAS devices that ship it by default on the NAS hard drives. There is certain large Linux distributions out there that insist on shipping it. And there's certain crazy data mining corporations that run it on their edge network. They'll probably continue to do that for years. Yeah, well, SUSE are all in on it. Their whole basically update strategy relies on it because you need to have the rollback yeah. and they're not going to ship ZFS. They've made that very clear. So I think, yeah, even if it's only SUSE using it, it's going to stick around. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm glad because then we can really have a good turf war. Now we can have ZFS folks against ButterFS folks. And meanwhile, us Stratus hipsters over here will really have the uh, high, high and mighty attitudes. Well, I'm just sitting here using EXT4, what can I say? <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's uh, also a little upset in the Bitcoin community. Another fork is coming. N yes, we're, we, know, we know there was just another fork. Bitcoin Cash just happened. On Wednesday, a group of Bitcoiners scheduled yet another split for the network in November, which would create a third version of Bitcoin. Now, the date's not set yet because it's based on the number of blocks. So once they reach a certain block number... The split happens. 
And so this all comes down to segregated witness, doesn't it? Which is a feature that was being debated as to whether they were going to implement it and it was going to help with this block size problem. And so it was implemented into the main Bitcoin, but that wasn't enough to stop the fork of Bitcoin Cash, where they just said, we don't care about segregated witness, we just want a bigger block size. Correct. And now this other fork is people want both. They want a bigger block size and segregated witness to basically optimize the block size as much as possible. It's going by two names, SigWit 2X and BTC1, I believe. And its two main differences would be a two megabyte block size versus OG Bitcoin's one megabyte. And it would also include the new segregated witness. But that's not the interesting part about any of this. The interesting part about this is how fired up the Bitcoin community is. This appears to be a much bigger deal than the last split, and it's potentially going to be much more noticeable. There is a bunch of Bitcoin Core developers and Bitcoin Core community members who are very vocal. Uh, Henry Braid is one of these, a vocal person that's been promoting Bitcoin since 2011. He's a frequent speaker at events. He's very knowledgeable about Bitcoin and the blockchain. And he tweeted this morning, the SigWit 2X hard fork scheduled for November is an attempted hostile corporate takeover of the Bitcoin protocol. Fight it and educate people. They're saying that New York business interests are coming out and it may even be a state takeover. And meanwhile, the SigWit 2X folks are saying, we have 80% of the hashing power. We have these former core developers on our side. Let's give this a go and let's see just where the cards lie. And it's getting really volatile back and forth. This is the interesting fork. Yeah, because Bitcoin Cash, it's not done massively well. It's done better than I expected, I must say. But people have just kept using Bitcoin, basically. Yeah. So you think that now this might be serious, then we, people might actually start using this other fork? I think it could be the, the combination effect of Bitcoin Cash and SigWit 2X. Bitcoin Cash, if you mine, is more profitable right now than original Bitcoin. So if you're in the mining game, you can actually make more money with Bitcoin Cash. So that's going to eat away a bit at Bitcoin. And then SigWit 2X comes along with their two megabyte blocks and segregated witness and big professional slick industry backing, quote unquote, the corporate people that are trying to take it over, it could be really appealing. And if you get companies like Coinbase and BitPay, who is BitPay is one of the big companies behind this, this could by default just become the elephant in the room, could suck all of the oxygen. I can't think of another metaphor. Uh, could snuff, no, got nothing, Joe. But there's a lot of metaphors you could <laughs> throw with this. Like there's this, the metaphor, the metaphor potential is high. <laughs> Yeah, it's we live in fascinating times with uh, the whole Bitcoin thing. I'm just waiting for it to crash so I can invest again because it seems to go up, crash, right. and then go up yeah. and go even higher than it yeah. was before. Those of us that follow Bitcoin call that a sale. Yeah, there's a there, you're, you're waiting for the Bitcoin sale. Hopefully it'll come. It's yeah. as we record right now. It's somewhere north of four thousand dollars, which is just absolutely insane. It's mind blowing, isn't it? I've been I've been following Bitcoin since it was below a dollar. Um, so, <laughs> sometimes it makes me want to break out the old plan B, but I tell you what, I'm too busy doing this here show, which you can find future versions over at linuxactionnews.com. Go to linuxactionnews.com slash subscribe for all the ways to get new episodes. 
And go to linuxactionnews.com slash contact for ways to get in touch. Yeah, and you can support the entire network at our Patreon page over at patreon.com slash jupitersignal. We'll be back next Monday with our weekly take on the latest Linux and open source news. I'm at Chris LAS. I'm at Joe Rissington. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next week. See you later. See you later.